You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. Let's talk about something important. Put that coffee down. Coffee's for closers only. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. Cannonball! Hey guys, uh, I am joined by a uh, special guest today. Um, this is the first time I'm actually talking to him face to face, so I'm honored to welcome on uh, Douglas Maurice of uh, Cleveland.com. Uh, he also hosts Buckeye Talk. He also hosts the Co College Football Survivor Show. Uh, Doug, how many podcasts do you do a week? Would you say? Uh, at least seven, sometimes <laughs> eight or nine. Okay. Yeah, baseline then, of seven. Okay. And then you got guys like me asking you to come on too. So we're adding to your total here. So we appreciate you uh, coming on and taking your time. So thank you. No, thanks for having me. I love you. Happen. Absolutely. Um, so Doug, we're a Youngstown based podcast here up in the three, three Oh um, I've had coach Trestle on my show. One of my favorite coaches of all time. One of my favorite people of all time. Um, and you cover in the Buckeyes for roughly about 20 years or so. Um, yep. I, I, I just kind of want to get your thoughts and um, memories on um, Coach Trestle and what, what you know of him, what you remember about him. So I started covering Ohio State in 2005. So I wasn't there for the start of Jim Trestle, but I covered six of his 10 years as the coach of the Buckeyes. And I... I did not grow up an Ohio State fan. I'm not mm -hmm. from Ohio, so I was not very familiar with Ohio State before I got here. You know, I, I wasn't watching the, the 2002 national title game on pins and needles, that kind of yeah, thing. Right. So I didn't know Jim Trestle before I got here. And um, he was, now that I've done this for a while and I've done it through a few different head coaches, I think I have a better read on the situation, right? Because Tress was like uh, a super chill, nice guy, but I had like a hard time sort of penetrating through to get to sure. like maybe who Jim Tressel really was. And I think that was by design, right? I, I tell this story all the time that after they had uh, some of the issues with Terrell Pryor and the NCAA investigations and all of us were doing open records requests to figure, try to figure stuff out. There was a time when we all got Jim Tressel's phone logs for a period of time. Mm -hmm. And you're going through all the people that he was talking to on the phone a lot. And you could, you could find the number and figure out oh, whose number is that. And so I realized over like an 18 month period, I had maybe called him nine times in 18 months and tim may for the columbus dispatch who was like my competitor on the beat had talked to him 863 times and i was like oh that's how you cover a team you have that kind of relationship with the head coach and tim was like oh yeah you know we'd be if i was watching oklahoma texas and i called tress and say can you believe that that third down call and they'd be talking football i'd be like oh okay so you can break through it 
if you're better at this than I am. But <laughs> the, the thing that um, in retrospect on Jim Tressel is there's an incredibly high level of achievement and people who were around him like loved him like a hundred percent swear by him. And again, having done it now, I think the idea of having a consistent high level of achievement and the highest level, not just beating Michigan every year, but you win a national title, you play for two others, you're in the conversation at the top of the sport and you do it in a way that engenders complete devotion. I think you are who you are, right? I mean, he's, Mm -hmm. Nobody's a perfect person, but I think Tress was Tress. I think he was true to himself. And I always try to judge people by what good people around them think of them. Sure. And so then when I look at, I think, you know, what James Lorditis thinks of Jim Tressel, what Malcolm Jenkins thinks of Jim Tressel, what Beanie Wells thinks of Jim Tressel, or, you know, what Troy Smith thinks of Jim Tressel, what Ted Ginn Jr. and Sr. think of Jim Tressel. And it's like, they love the dude. So it was such a weird end, but by the end, especially I, I were, I wrote a gigantic story again. I think I need to be better at this that summer in as, as things are getting are happening in 2010 and getting ready to explode in Christmas of 2010, that July and August, I am working on a gigantic story where I'm talking to everybody I can find about Jim Tressel and the idea that Ohio State football is now a combination of what Ohio State football is historically and what Jim Tressel is personally. And he has reached the point where he has merged himself into the program, and it's one and the same. And I'm talking to boosters, and I'm talking to people in administration. I talked to Les Wes Wexner. I don't know that Les Wexner in his time at Ohio State has talked to very many people about being a gigantic booster of Ohio State sports. And it was one in the same. Trestle had become Ohio State. Mm -hmm. And at that very moment, moment, the things were happening behind the scenes that eventually would lead to his downfall and disconnect oh. Jim Trestle and Ohio State. So I always find that to be right when you think someone has reached their peak, has reached their most ingrained, it can still all explode mm -hmm. and come apart. And it did. So I'm always because I didn't know I didn't know what was happening behind the scenes. I was just like, and everybody said, "We love this guy. We love this guy. We love this guy." And I remember Luke Fickle telling a story, and I think others have told a story like this, that Jim Tressel is the kind of guy who, if he's walking around the facility, he basically built the Woody, or he rebuilt mm -hmm. the Woody in a way. That was a big fundraising drive, you know, in like 2000. I don't know mid 2000s sure. and Tr Tress let it Tress pushed it. So the version of the Woody Hayes athletic center that we see today, Tress elevated it almost on his own. And they said, he's a type of guy. If he's walking around the Woody and he sees like a piece of trash in the parking lot, he'll bend down and pick it up. Mm -hmm. And it's like, if the head coach of the program does that, right. The guy who built the building, he does that little details. How can I not do that? How can I not have pride in my environment, have pride in my program, have pride in myself and my teammates? Because Jim Tressel exemplifies that, which then in the end, when things go wrong, and if there's any idea of like, well, I didn't know this. It's like, Tress, you knew everything. You you picked up the trash. So there's nothing that got past you mm -hmm. for good and for bad. You were in complete control of that situation for good mm -hmm. right up until it was for bad. But in the end, I don't 
the idea that Jim Trestle is as beloved as he is by so much of the fan base after ending that way, I think tells you how ingrained he was for the 10 years that he was the head coach. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you telling that story. That's, that's really cool. And uh, so I, I don't know uh, what's, what's your relationship now with Ryan day compared to how it was with Jim Trestle back then. So, you know, I don't, I don't want to make sweeping declarations about individuals because you change as a person. So I'm different. So then I relate to head coaches differently. I would relate mm-hmm. to any head coach differently. If Jim Trestle was here, I would call him more than nine times in 18 months now, <laughs> but Tress to me had the veneer a little bit, the senatorial veneer. He filibustered a lot. He would sort of purposefully talk in a circle to avoid having to say anything. And then Urban Meyer was, you know, he would he came in right away and was like, oh, the receivers are a clown show. And we were like, oh, my gosh, this is like <laughs> the most descriptive thing we've ever heard a head coach say. But yet Urban, in his own way, I mean, he came in with, you know, kind of like the white knight and the pop collar and two national championship rings and he's urban. Yeah. So by the time I got to Tress, I, I don't know what Tress was like when he got here as the Youngstown state head coach, mm-hmm. but by the time I got to Tress, Tress was Tress. Urban was urban from the day he got here. Ryan day is just some guy who got fired by the 49ers who came in as the offensive coordinator. So I always do think your relationships are different when you get to know a guy when he's an assistant and then he becomes the head coach. So I feel like all of us who cover Ohio state who were around when Ryan Day was the offensive coordinator for two years, we just know Ryan in a different way than we ever had a chance to know Trestle and Meyer. But to me, Ryan's just like a little bit more of a regular dude because mm-hmm. senatorial Vernier, kind of cool guy, national champion Vernier, and Ryan's just a guy. So I have a much more, I don't know, I don't want to say real because it acts like yeah. Jim Trestle and Urban Meyer aren't real people and that I didn't ever have real conversations with them. But Ryan is just more of a regular guy to me. And then it is just a little weird. My dad is from Manchester, New Hampshire, which is just kind of a random thing. And Ryan yeah. Day is from Ma- Manchester, New Hampshire, because Ryan Day is part of the New Hampshire Mafia. And Jim Kelly was <laughs> his uh, offensive coordinator at the University of New Hampshire. They both went to the Manchester High School. So my dad's whole side of the family is like, I know Manchester. Mm-hmm. So that was an entry point for me and for Ryan, like when Ryan got here and I was like, did you go to collector's heaven? It was the baseball <laughs> card shop in okay. Manchester. When I was a kid, when we would, I would grew up in Pennsylvania, we'd drive to New Hampshire to see my grand, my grandmother. And I'd want to go to the baseball card shop. And Ryan Day was like, collector's heaven. I was at collector's heaven every weekend. So like <laughs> that kind of thing, we had sort cool. of a connection a little bit. And then uh, I feel like we do have uh, a pretty good relationship, but he's just more, you know, he's, He's younger when he took over. He'd mm-hmm. never done this before. He'd been the assistant. But I also do just think his personality is a little bit more of a regular guy. But also, the more you get into the job, the less regular of a guy you are. Because Absolutely. I could pretend, ah, Ryan Day's a regular guy. And it's like, oh, you mean like the $9.5 million head coach of one of the most highly pressurized mm-hmm. job jobs in American sport? That guy, mm-hmm. he just is out mowing his lawn and drinking lemonade. It's like, well, no, not anymore. <laughs> but he still has a lot of that in him, I think. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That's great. So, okay. Being in this high pressure job that Ryan day has now and a ton of talent on this roster. um, I wrote down a few of the biggest challenges I think are facing the Buckeyes. And I kind of want to get your opinion on each of these five topics, you know, however you want to 
elaborate on it. So let's start with the biggest question. Ryan Day is kind of a quarterback whisperer, but we have two unproven quarterbacks right now on the roster that are going to battle for this job. We think it's probably Kyle McCord, but it could be Devin Brown. So what's your thoughts on the quarterback situation leading into 2023? This is directly from how Ryan Day evaluates it. He always talk about talks about what's the extraordinary trait mm-hmm. in a quarterback. So I don't I don't think any of us know yet what the extraordinary trait is. When I had Ryan on my podcast a couple weeks ago, and we were talking about Dwayne Haskins on the one year anniversary of the death of the late great Dwayne Haskins. And he would talk about what's his extraordinary trait. He said the release, the quick release to get the ball out like a point guard, Justin Fields. We know just the, the unbelievable running ability coupled with unbelievable deep shot ability. Mm-hmm. And then CJ Stroud, just the processing, the mental aspect of the game. I don't know. It doesn't mean they don't have them. I don't think if they didn't have them, Kyle McCord and Devin Brown wouldn't be here. They wouldn't be recruited to a place like Ohio state, but they haven't shown it yet. So I don't know when you're in trouble, what do you do, mm-hmm. right? Dwayne got rid of the ball before he got in trouble. Justin, if he got in trouble, could run. Mm-hmm. And CJ would get in the film room and diagnose stuff so that he could see the trouble coming and try to try to get, you know, prevent it from happening. Sure. I don't know what Kyle McCord and Devin Brown will do. And so until we see that, I'm curious about it. I do think it's possible that their extraordinary traits will maybe be a slight cut below. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, you're fine. Choking on a walnut. <laughs> Choking on a walnut. <laughs> Great content for you. Man, I had this kind of show. You go to the hospital because you're eating a walnut during the interview. <laughs> so I think you go three straight first round quarterbacks. There's certainly a decent chance that Kyle McCord and or Devin Brown or, you know, both. Yeah. will be first round quarterbacks, but man, it's a high bar. Mm-hmm. I don't think we're quite at the quite at the point where you just a thousand percent assume that. So I'm curious where they'll be exceptional. And then the other thing is, do you have to be exceptional if you're throwing to Marvin Harrison Jr. and Buka, Cade Stover, Julian Fleming, and handing it to Travion Henderson and Mayan Williams? Maybe not. Maybe not. Mm-hmm. So then, okay, maybe you just need to be pretty good this year, and then. If if the starter is back in 2024, then you have a chance to grow into the idea of being exceptional. Very good. I like that's a great answer. And, you know, before I get into the, my next concern, I do since you brought up Marvin Harrison, um, I, I want to ask you, you know, he's got lineage. He's got the genetic uh, DNA. Have what's your what's your thoughts on is he the best wide receiver or potentially the best wide receiver to ever come out of Ohio state? Yeah, I think, I think it's a definitive yes. And it is the combination of all the things of natural talent. I don't know that I've ever seen somebody that talented work as hard as he works. Completely chill demeanor for a guy whose dad was a hall of famer and has his, has his dad's name. And You know, I know he wants to work on after the catch and some more Mm -hmm. explosiveness with that. But in terms of like running around and catching the football before the ball gets to him, I definitely don't think we've seen any better. So like, you know, now he went now. Okay, well, we've seen what happens when when you got once you got the ball to Ted Ginn Jr. What did we see happen once you get the ball to Garrett Wilson? What do we see happen? But also it's it's to his advantage. He's in an offense that's going to take advantage of it. So Michael Thomas in 14 and 15, they didn't throw him the ball enough. 
Now they won a national championship and they handed the ball to Ezekiel Elliott and they were trying to get Braxton Miller involved in 15 and they had reasons for it. But Ryan Day's offense, if they had Michael Thomas, okay, well, let's do that, mm -hmm. right? And then to try to go back, you know, certainly I think what, what John Cooper did, right, with David Boston and Terry Glenn, it's like, okay, well, that was pretty darn good. And we know how good Chris Carter was back in the 80s. So I just think we, we talk about this a lot on Buckeye Talk, like the evolution of Ohio State players. It's almost like, right, the evolution of man coming up. Right. The amoeba and then the, the little uh, graph, you know, going up a little bit. And it's like Chris Carter to Terry Glenn to David Boston to Santonio Holmes to Ted Ginn Jr. To like, and it's like, well, yeah. I still think they're ascending. Okay. So I don't think we've reached the peak and Marvin might be the peak. But then we were talking about Jeremiah Smith as the number two recruit in the class of 2024, yeah. the number one receiver who's 6'3 in high school right now. It's like, okay, well, I don't know. Yeah. Do you could you still be ascending after Marv? It's hard to imagine it in your head. But the but the thing that's most on his side is the history. Well, the thing that's most on his side is that he's an extraordinary football player. But in the history of Ohio State, which for a hundred and plus years was a run first program, now it's not. Now it's a if this was Michigan, what if Marvin Harrison Jr. was in Michigan's offense? Would we know? Would they have developed him to this point? I mean, Marv is still Marv. He would mm -hmm. still be extraordinary. But I don't know he would if he would get to show it at much. And that's not a shot at Michigan because Michigan, I think, might be the best team in the country this year. But it's the style you choose, and it happens that the style Ohio State has chosen will accentuate the extraordinary talent of Marvin Harrison Jr. Sort of like uh, talent plus opportunity in that equation there. Absolutely. Uh, so, Doug, let's let's move on to another concern then. Um the offensive tackles that, you know, you lose two NFL guys, one being the first tackle coming off the board in Paris Johnson. Uh, where does that leave us looking for 2023? Yeah, I think it's a legitimate concern. I think it is a, among the most legitimate concerns going into a season that I can remember at Ohio State, because it doesn't mean that you have to recruit top 150 national players at tackle. But we saw this recruiting dip. We saw it when it happened. Mm -hmm. We knew that class, the crossover class from Urban Meyer to Ryan Day. They took some four lower rated Ohio and Midwestern kids. And you, we for two years said, okay, well, they better get a five star. And they, and they never did. They tried and they missed. And so to get to a point where in the spring you had, you know, Josh Fryer as a recruit in the 500s and Mahalski as a late recruit flip in the 300s. Tegra Shabola is a higher rated recruit, but he's only entering year two. Mm -hmm. But you have to bring in a San Diego State transfer like Joshua Simmons, who I am operating under the assumption is the leader at the right tackle spot right now. Right. And then you, we also know they tried for a lot of other guys in the portal, right? There's other players out there. I think a guy went to Florida State from the portal who's probably going to start. I think a guy went to Oregon from the portal who's probably going to start. They tried. And when I do the national college football stuff on the College Football Survivor Show, I have now become obsessed with tackles. So. LSU returns two good tackles. So I'm like, oh, LSU is going to be good. Oregon has two good tackles. One five-star second-year guy and one from the portal. Oregon State has two awesome portals back. When Ohio State plays Notre Dame, Joe Alt's the best left tackle going. And Blake Fisher is a, a multi-year starter who was a big-time recruit. They have great tackles. And all of a sudden, I now think, well, you need great tackles to win because mm -hmm. Ohio State doesn't have them. Sure. So it's it doesn't mean that Josh Fryer and Zed Mahalski and Tegra Shabola and Josh Simmons won't be good. But it does mean right now it's as uncertain because there's not one guy, right? 
Right. We've seen Daryl Baldwin as a fifth year senior started for the 2014 national champs. Then he left and Chase Ferris as a fifth year guy started in 2015, but they had Taylor Decker mm-hmm. on the left side. They had, I think to, to be a little, a little bit look, Brandon Bowen was like a latent career offensive lineman, right? That I th- those are great stories. You fought, Matthew Jones is a little bit like that. Matthew Jones is a starting guard now, a second-year starting guard, fought and fought and fought and didn't win jobs for a couple of years and stuck around, and now it's going to be a starter in year five and now year six. We know those stories. It's just that they don't have any for sure thing sure. at tackle. And so that's that's the surprising part. And we knew it was coming, and they tried in recruiting, and they tried in the portal to get a more – certain answer there and they couldn't so that also tells us they know it too mm-hmm. so that's we always try to focus on what do we know who are we who are we we're just a couple guys with microphones justin we don't know anything <laughs> but you can tell is it ohio state's plan a yeah. or is it ohio state's plan b and whenever ohio state has to lean on a plan b we say well it we're not saying that it's not going to work we're just saying you've clearly communicated that it wasn't plan a and this is a plan a place so sometimes plan b's work okay great mm-hmm. but we have to acknowledge that this isn't exactly how ohio state would have drawn it up no doubt no doubt okay um the defense second year under jim Knowles looked good most of the season uh you know until the last few games maryland had some struggles obviously we know the second half against Michigan and, you know, against Georgia, you could you maybe put up a few less points on, you know, hold them to a few less points. You might be national champions right now. So what's your thoughts on the defense going into 2023? Yeah, I buy the stuff they said in spring about year one of Jim Knowles. They were really teaching in year two. They're trying to bring out the competitiveness. When you look at Jim Knowles' history at Oklahoma State, they got better every year. Mm-hmm. So it's not just talk. That's the proof of how this works. It is a system. It is a way of doing things. You've got to learn it. So I buy that. We also, you know, had a podcast a couple of weeks ago about how many dudes does Ohio State have on its defense. And so I always say things like, show me Marshawn Lattimore, show me Malik Hooker, show me Ryan Shazier, show me the Bosa brothers, show me Chase Young, show me Jonathan Hankins, show me A.J. Hawk, show me the guys who, I don't scheme, who cares about the scheme? Right. Show me Dante Whitner, put Dante Whitner in any defense, boom, let's go. Mm -hmm. They don't have as many of those guys right now. And again, you can see the dip. They dipped in the cornerback recruiting a little bit, right? They dipped in some other areas, and we and we know that. Mm-hmm. So, can Denzel Burke? I thought Denzel. Everybody thought Denzel Burke looked good this spring. Can Denzel Burke be a dude? Okay. Are they going to play Sonny Styles? The amount of snaps that a lot of people want to play Sonny Styles. That guy looks like a dude. Are JT Tuimolowau and Jack Sawyer as two third-year five-star defensive ends going to go after it? Mike Hall is a third-year defensive tackle with a huge upside. Those guys can be dudes. So scheme matters. But also sometimes you just tell Ryan Shazier to go get the ball. Yeah. I don't know what the scheme was, but when Monty Ball tried to go over the top of the line <laughs> for Wisconsin in that game and Ryan Shazier met him and popped the ball out, that scheme was Ryan Shazier makes a play. Right. When you throw a ball, a deep ball down the sideline, and Malik Hooker is in the middle of the field and while the ball is in the air, closes ground like a gazelle and intercepts the pass. I don't know what that scheme is, but that play is Malik Hooker make a play. When Marshawn Lattimore is 6'1", and fast and physical, and it looks like he's glued to the receiver. I don't care what your coverage is. You can't throw on Marshawn Lattimore. So I do believe they'll be better schematically. The players will be more confident in it in year two. 
but I'm, I think it's reasonable to still be looking for dudes. Tommy Eichenberg was great last year. I don't know that anybody thinks Tommy Eichenberg was AJ Hawk or Ryan Shazier or the best of the best of the best. And I think it's the Ohio state standard to have at least one or two guys like that. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, the last two years in the NFL draft, they've had one defensive player taken in each year, the last two years. That's a dip. Mm-hmm. It's not a, it's not the, and it's not the player's fault. Sure. It's a, it's a, some coaching transition, recruitment development situation that has contributed to it as well. So it's not just Jim Jim Knowles, but when I think you look at some of these guys, you can see where there are opportunities for one, two, three, four, five dudes to develop on this defense. And I think for them to be great, that needs to happen too. 100% agreed. We definitely need those dudes to step up. Um, all right, Doug, a uh, couple more things here. Uh, the Michigan game. We we know, you know, we were rolling for years. Almost, I want to say, quiet confidence, a little bit of cockiness, but, but kept it under the radar. Um, but now Michigan, they get the last two. They kind of got that little break, I think, which helped them in 2020, the COVID year. Kind of reset things. But... Is Michigan in our head? Is are they in our head, or is it are they better, or are they equal talent, or what is it? So I think it's everything. First thing I think you, I think Ohio State fans know this. Michigan's good, mm-hmm. so you have to start there. And I know, yes, you can't lose the rivalry game. I know that, but this is not Rich Rod Brady Hoke Michigan. This is not even early year Harbaugh Michigan. This is. Michigan with the plan. You can see their recruiting class this year is better, but you, they have some guys making differences, right? And so, you know, Donovan Edwards is a guy that Ohio State could have taken, right? Will Johnson is going to be their best corner this year. Ohio State was in on that recruitment. That's a five-star guy. Like, these are these are real guys. They've done a great job on the offensive line, mm-hmm. and all the people that Ohio State's not getting into portal on the offensive line, Michigan's doing a really good job there. Now, Ohio State's sixth best receiver would start for Michigan. So everybody has strengths. Everybody has weaknesses. Michigan is not infallible. I think Michigan this year still might be the best version. I think this Michigan team might be better than the last two years. I think in 2021, Michigan was better. Aiden Hutchinson, David Ajabo, Dax Hill, the Hassan Haskins, Blake Corum run game. I think Michigan's better with the, with the defensive problems Ohio state had that year and CJ Stroud in year one. I think, I think the right, I think the right team won that game, even though not many people picked it going in. I think the right team won. Last year, I think Ohio State's better, but Ohio Mm -hmm. State didn't play its best game. And then they had defensive breakdowns. So what does that mean? I think 2021's more football. I think 2022's more intangibles. That Ohio State was mad for a year, sought revenge, and then didn't come out and play its best game. So they've got to find a way to do that. I think Ohio State's best game, even though I think Michigan's better than it was last two years, Ohio State's still more talented. I mean, like that's, that's not much in dispute. But are they a better team? I don't know. So I think we're getting to the point now where it's like, does Ohio State's best game definitely beat Michigan? I think that has been the answer because I think that was even the answer in the Cooper years. Yeah. Does Ohio State's best game win this game? Yes. But how often did Ohio State play its best game in sure. those 13? That was the point. It wasn't that your A-plus is better than our A-plus. It was that they played an A and Ohio State didn't. But now you're getting to the point where that's more in question. Michigan's that good. You have to acknowledge that. Yeah. But I do think I like the thing. So so Ohio State, to me, had to make changes in the offseason. I think they have. I think the play calling, passing over the play calling to Brian Hartline, to me, that's Ryan Day wanting to 
coach culture in a way that they are ready to go on the last Saturday in November. James Laurinaitis added to the staff. Good mm-hmm. coach anyway. I don't necessarily think it's a coincidence because James Laurinaitis would have been willing to be on Ohio State staff before, but it didn't work out. But then it did huh. work out after they lost to Michigan twice. Okay, I don't know. Is that a coincidence or is that a really good time to bring in a guy with a bunch of gold pants? I think it's not a coincidence. They've done some stuff where, you know, they have somebody on the staff that's like Ryan Day's chief of staff now to just try to keep his table a little bit more cleared and the NIL world and the transfer portal world and then making sure that he's connected to everybody. I think that's good. But I think everything they're doing is geared to Ohio State playing its A-plus game against Michigan. Mm-hmm. So you've got to play your A-plus game. They didn't last year. Everybody knows that. I do think they can learn. They played a pretty close to an A-plus game against Georgia. They did. Mm-hmm. So do what you did against Georgia, against Michigan. It's like, well, it's different. It's outdoors. It's the rivalry. It's a team that knows you so well. Okay, I don't know. But still, whatever you did against Georgia, do that. Yeah. Because we talked about that a lot, that it felt like Ohio State let it rip a little bit more against Georgia. I think with the play calling, I think with the way they played. Mm -hmm. So I think they couldn't, they can learn lessons from that. So I think Ohio State had to make adjustments after the Michigan loss last year. I think Ohio State has made adjustments. But that doesn't mean that Ohio State's going to win 10 in a row. Sure. That just means they're going to be right there. And I still think A plus to A plus Ohio State wins. But please, and I, Justin, do you think people get it how good Michigan is? Like you have to, it doesn't excuse yeah. losing the rivalry game. But Woody didn't beat Michigan every year. The 10 year war wasn't 10 nothing. Right. right. So we, we have to have a some understanding of that because this is not Brady Hoke, Rich Rodriguez, Michigan. Sure. And Harbaugh's figured it out. Jim Harbaugh is a good football coach. He started 0-5 against Ohio State, but he's a good football coach. Mm-hmm. So now this is the best version of Michigan, and I don't know that that version of Michigan is going away. But Ohio State absolutely can beat that, but we have to also understand this is not like the first time that Ohio State lost to Michigan in consecutive years. Exactly. Woody lost to Michigan in consecutive years, but you have to have the belief that Ohio State can win. I think Ohio State fans should have that belief this year. You know, And if they lose four in a row or five in a row, then get back to me. Right. Then you're at the point where it's like, it doesn't matter how good Michigan is. You can't do that. Sure. But right now, the discussion has to start with the discussion to me is two things. Acknowledge how good Michigan is. They're excellent. Two, is Ohio State going to be different than they were a year ago? And I think the things they're showing so far should make you believe, yes, they will be different. And as a result, more ready to play their best game against the Wolverines. That's good to hear, too. And, you know, I know no one wants to say this as Ohio State fans, but college football is better when both Michigan and Ohio State are good teams. That rivalry is now back on a rivalry, not just one-sided anymore. Um, Doug, so I was looking this up. Ohio State has six road games this year. Six. This is the first time they've had six road games since 1895. It's insane. So oh, I'm going to steal that stat. I'm going to steal that stat from you. So yeah, Thanks, man. That's good. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so first time since 1895, you know, most of the time Ohio state's playing eight games, eight games at home. So it's six and six this year, possibly four games in the state of Indiana, if you include the big 10 championship. So what's, what's the toughest road game on this schedule? Is it Notre Dame? Is it, uh, slip up maybe at Purdue is it Wisconsin is it Michigan what what is it to you I do think it's Michigan but I do think there's other things in there you know I I certainly covered people remember when they went to 
Wisconsin in 2010 as the number one team in the country and Wisconsin returned the opening kickoff for a touchdown. And that was, that was the only time it's like, Oh, you can remember those Brett Bielema was a thorn on Ohio state side. That's the one time. That's the mm-hmm. only time Wisconsin that, I mean, Alvarez beat Ohio state and beat Tress a couple of times. That's the only time Brett Bielema beat Ohio state. I think Notre Dame, wherever that's played, Sam Hartman's good as a sixth year guy who transferred from wake forest. I think their receivers are going to be better. I think Notre Dame's good. I think Marcus Freeman is a good coach. They've recruited some young talent at receiver that I think is going to elevate their passing game. They only completed 10 passes against Ohio State last year when only three were two receivers, and they've completely redone their receiver room. So I think talent-based and Sam Hartman, that's fourth game of the year for Ohio State. Who's going to have the better quarterback in that game? Is it going to be Notre Dame and Sam Hartman, who threw six touchdown passes against Clemson last year? Or is it going to be the Ohio State quarterback who – as of right now, we're not, we don't even know who it's going to be and is entering his first year as a starter. It might be the Ohio State quarterback, but it's not a sure thing. Right. And usually, when Ohio State's playing regular season games, they usually have the better quarterback. How often do you go through before you get to the playoff and say, oh, huh, the other team had the better quarterback? Like, maybe never. Yeah. So you have to keep that in mind for Notre Dame. I'm curious about Wisconsin. Like, it's just Camp Randall's a great, a great scene. Mm-hmm. I think Luke Fickle's a great hire for Wisconsin. When Luke Fickle brought in Cincinnati in 19, they weren't ready. I think Luke Fickle psyched himself out. I like the hire he made of Phil Longo as a guy who's like an air raid type of offensive coordinator. Wisconsin's going to throw the ball more than we've ever seen Wisconsin throw the ball. Tanner Mordecai as an SMU transfer is a guy who can do it. I always call Wisconsin quarterbacks noodle arms. Mm-hmm. I think the era of the noodle arm Wisconsin quarterback might be over. Mm-hmm. So be ready for that. But I also thought Graham Mertz might be good and he wasn't good. So, it is a tough schedule. They only played four last year. That was like they were really hammering the season ticket package last year because mm-hmm. they had eight home games. So they got off on this schedule a little bit. They usually try to hit. I think they usually try to hit the national non-conference game on the road the year they have Michigan at home. Yeah. So to be at Notre Dame and at Michigan is off on their yeah. typical schedule plan, which gets us to the point where instead of it being seven and five a year ago and seven and five now, they had it was eight, four last year. Now it's six and six. Yeah. So that's real. But, you know, it's one of those things. What do you want? Do you want a tough schedule? Do you not want a tough schedule? Yeah. If you're saying you had to go on the road to Michigan, Notre Dame and Wisconsin, plus you get Penn State at home and you lose one in there and maybe you're not the Big Ten champ or you're now you're in a fight for the fourth playoff spot. That's a pretty good resume. Yeah. Would you rather have that or would you rather be in a point where your schedule stinks? Michigan's schedule's terrible. Yeah. I don't think Michigan, Michigan can't backdoor it. Michigan's got to win the Big Ten, as good as they are. If they lose to Ohio State, they're going to have a real tough time getting in the playoff. Ohio State has more challenges. So that's Mm -hmm. more opportunities to slip up, but it's also more opportunities to prove to people how good you are. And if you need it in the committee room, Ohio State should have something to show. Awesome. Okay. Uh, All right, Doug, um, we're going to wrap up here in a minute. I know you got to go, but I'm just going to put this request out there as a Buckeye Talk listener. I saw this graphic the other day um, and they compared Stetson Bennett to Van Wilder. He has not graduated from the University of Georgia and been there for the better half of a decade. Uh, you do maybe the best impression I've ever heard. May I request a, a, an answer to why Stetson Bennett has not graduated from the University of Georgia? First of all, Mr. Justin, how dare you even attempt to besmirch the academic qualifications and credentials of the Bennett family. My great-great-grandfather Stetson Bennett I did not graduate college, but was a learned man. 
My grandfather, Stetson Bennett II, did not graduate college and was kicked in the head by a horse, but was a learned man. My father, Stetson Bennett III, did not finish the eighth grade, but was a learned man. So to impugn my credentials, I will just say that I am on the nine-year plan, and you will see Stetson Bennett IV cross the stage at the great University of Georgia, the <laughs> finest academic institution in all of these United States, in 2031. And when I walk across that stage, Mr. Justin, I will be thinking of your disrespect. Well done. Well done. That was worth it right there, just for that uh, Stetson Bennett interview. So, Doug, just want to say thank you again for taking your time. Tell um, our listeners if they're not familiar with Buckeye Talk, but I would think most of us are. But uh, tell them where they can find you guys and listen and all that stuff. So Buckeye Talk, you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts five days a week, like an hour plus each mm -hmm. day. So we're putting out a lot of content. That's me and my co-host, Nathan Baird and Stephen Means. And then also wherever you find podcasts, the College Football Survivor Show. We talk about the playoff. This is not like yeah. underdog college football stories. These are the programs that matter. Best players, best coaches, schedules, trends, like what's happened, who's hitting the portal, who's recruiting at the highest level. We, you know, we care about, if you're an Ohio State fan, to me, I want to make that show to put Ohio State in context. Because a lot of chances to talk about Ohio State, but how good is Ohio State compared to Bama and Georgia and Clemson and USC and Michigan and all those teams that they're going to see if they make the playoffs. So Shahan J. Haraja, he's based out of Texas. He knows a ton about college football. He's a CBS Sports National College writer. He and I do that show twice a week. It usually comes out Tuesdays and Thursdays. And like the most, the most instant, uh, the most recent podcast there we did, not unique, but we ranked the top 10 coaches in college football. So you can find out where Shahan and I put Ryan Day. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Doug, again, thank you so much. Uh, love your show personally and uh, you guys do a fantastic job i just started listening to the college football survivor show so uh appreciate that and uh thanks for adding us to your plate this week of 55 podcasts or whatever you're doing now so <laughs> no ha happy to do it it's fun it's always fun uh talking about the buckeyes and i've always said this that you know you you can't control what the team does that you cover but ohio state's always interesting ohio mm -hmm. state is never boring and they're usually right 92% of the time they're interesting good but even when it when it's not good it's interesting no doubt so it uh I don't know if you could talk um you know seven hours a week about Purdue football I'm right. not sure I would want to try so it doesn't you know so I, I appreciate the fact that there's a passionate fan base and that there's a, a program that Ohio State always matters and so that makes it easier for guys like me it makes it easier for guys like you and I know it's a great thing for the fans well, again, Doug, thank you so much. And, and make sure to give Buckeye Talk a listen. So, uh, Doug, thank you. Uh, enjoy your day. And we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Justin. Thank you. We say goodbye to Jim Brown, number 32 for the Cleveland Browns, who passed away at the age of 87 this past week. He leaves behind a complicated legacy, to say the least, uh, on and off the field, mostly off the field with the complications. But on the field, he is considered to be the greatest Cleveland Brown of all time. 
maybe the greatest running back of all time, maybe the greatest football player of all time, not to mention uh, one of the best athletes, if not the best athlete of the 20th century. He is considered by many the greatest lacrosse player in history from his time at the University of Syracuse. Obviously, we know his football accolades, which I'm going to share with you here in just a moment. He once dropped 50 points in a Syracuse basketball game, and that wasn't even his, you know, second main sport, and uh, just did so many great things on uh, the sports, uh, you know, field, course, whatever you want to say, but uh, Jim Brown, a amazing Goliath of an athlete. Now, there's a lot of controversy that comes with uh, Jim Brown, and we, we talk about what he did on the field, but with that, there were some issues off the field. Uh, you know, retired, obviously, at an early age. He was actually fined $5 a day while filming a movie, and I believe it was the Dirty Dozen, uh, and um, he was so offended by that that he just straight up retired. Uh, he wanted to be treated as uh, a great, not just an, an equal on the on the football field. Uh, and Art Modell and him had a complicated, um, a complicated relationship. Let's just say. Uh, so Jim Brown retired. We know uh, Jim Brown was one of the first players to hire an agent. He, uh, you know, has a lasting legacy of very very interesting things that he did. Now, with that said, Jim Brown also uh, had some issues off the field with women, uh, considering, uh, you know, considering he played in the 50s and 60s, very different times than they are now. Does not excuse um, any of the allegations of um, abuse towards women, physical abuse, uh, but you know, different times uh, back then. But again, not excusing anything he did, but that is part of the complicated legacy Jim Brown leaves behind. Also, uh, the civil rights era. You know, he he and Martin Luther King um, did not necessarily agree on a lot of things. Uh, you know, Jim Brown and Martin Luther King respected each other, but they did not necessarily agree on on civil rights movement activist uh, type issues. Uh, but we, we all know Jim Brown um, off the field as an actor. One of my early childhood memories of Jim Brown was from the movie The Running Man with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, and Jim Brown, just a colossal human being uh, on and off the field. You can see him in the picture right there with Elvis Presley. And a um, just a bigger, larger than life figure, um, especially in times where African-Americans were not treated the same way uh, as their white counterparts. But I wanted to focus on the positive and, you know, just give Jim Brown the credit he deserves. He is obviously well before many of our times, uh, but, you know, we got to know Jim Brown. He, he has a statue at Cleveland Brown Stadium. He is considered a hero by many in Northeast Ohio. And 
all around football. You'll still see people wearing number 32 jerseys everywhere. Uh, but he is a three-time MVP, a 1964 NFL champion, uh, just prior to the Super Bowl era with Cleveland Browns. He is, was a nine-time Pro Bowler, a eight-time first-team All-Pro, a 1971 Hall of Famer, and an NFL All-100 team member. And in all of those games he played, he missed zero games in his career. So uh, just wanted to uh, give a quick tribute to Jim Brown. Again, a, a complicated legacy on and off the field, but there is no denying one of, if not the greatest football player of all time up until this point. So Jim Brown, rest in peace, a forever Cleveland legend. Thanks for watching, guys. Everyone have a great day.